Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Often, as business owners and leaders, we can be blind to some of the signs that our team culture needs some work because we don't see them as being related to the culture that's inside of our salon. As a result, we can miss the opportunity to take responsibility for them because instead of recognizing them as symptoms of a broken culture, we see them as individual problems that are beyond our control. It's their fault. It's her fault. I can't control. Things like staff members adopting bad attitudes, poor customer service with clients, or simply dropping the ball, running late, making mistakes. Easy to see certain behaviors or attitudes from your team that attribute to them entirely to the team members themselves. You might think, well, that person's just lazy, or they're lacking ambition, or they're bringing their personal problems into the workforce. And that, of course, may be the case. In many cases, and often is the easiest thing to believe. But it's not only my experience, but it's backed up by many studies too. People want to do good work for the most part. They want to do a good job. They want to engage. So more often than not, in fact, these are symptoms of a bigger problem within your salon business, a symptom of a fractured team culture. And failure to recognize these symptoms, of course, will mean that the underlying problem goes untreated and it can fester and it can get worse because we haven't taken responsibility for the health of the salon's culture. So today I want to invite you to join me in a workshop that I ran just very recently where I reveal three signs that your culture needs a reboot and three things that you can do to cultivate an intentional and positive, exceptional team culture. Let's jump into this episode. So I want to start with the first question, what, what is culture and how do we measure it? How do we know if we have a good one or not, as the case may be? And I, I thought this was a really important question because just recently, let me just make sure I can see you guys, two weeks ago, in fact, we ran a two-day intensive in Selva Mastery. We run them four times a year. We ran a two-day intensive around the, the topic of culture. And one of our owners that we work with, her name's Lynn, she said to her success coach, hey, I, I don't know if I need to come to this intensive. I usually like coming to them, but do you know, my, my culture's pretty good. And Coach Greta said to her, no, look, I, I really think you should come. You're going to benefit from it regardless if your culture is good. And we always ask for feedback after the events. And she said, I read it out what she said. She goes, I didn't believe this was the correct intensive for me as I feel our culture in the salon is good. But now I know there's room for improvement and I can change some things up. And there's some clues here, right, to know maybe there's some work to be done. And do you know what? Even if you have a great culture, it's one of those things that's a work in progress. So I really wanted to, you know, highlight even when we think we've got a good culture, actually sometimes it's really important to recognize that 
sometimes we experience some symptoms and we don't necessarily relate it back to culture. So if you're experiencing low team morale, for example, you know, feels like maybe some or all of your team aren't excited to come to work, maybe productivity is down and you can tell productivity sometimes can be down or morale is down when there's increased sickness. People are taking sick days off all the time when they've just got a sniffly nose physical or emotional health issues start to pop up a lot, negative attitudes, team aren't contributing to the conversation, you know, in team meetings, you're the only one speaking, lack of initiative, all of these types of things, decrease in, in engagement, for example, poor customer service even, can actually be related back to team culture. Because ultimately, all we really want is happy, enthusiastic team members with positive attitudes, good team work ethic, that environment fosters innovation, creativity. It also means that, you know, sick days and being away or choosing not to come to work and people really showing up increases. So that can be a symptom, high turnover for sure. Now, I just want to be clear, like not people just leaving for life. Like people have babies, people travel around the world and live their life because that's always going to happen. You can't judge culture by that. People will come and go. But if you have this repeating belief or experience that, you know, people stay for two months or they only stay for two years for a really short period of time and they're on again, off again, and you can't quite get past the ceiling of growth, then that also can be a symptom of culture because ultimately we want a growing, thriving, profitable business and that works without you having to be a helicopter mum and chasing and tracking people. And if you're, especially at the moment, experiencing it can feel hard to attract new team members into the business, you advertise, you get crickets, really all we want is to be known in the industry as a good employer brand in your local area you know good enough that people want to come and work for you that you're always fully staffed there's a queue of people waiting out the door waiting out the door to come and work for you and so you might be saying well how is this related to culture Larissa so I, I totally hear you because possibly and I remember a time when I thought this too it's just bad luck or you know is it me <laughs> maybe but these are symptoms of needing to have a look at your culture and so I want to sort of get some rethinking here about what is culture and, and how do we create culture. And it's not about the perks, do you know, like oh, perks are nice and, you know, we should think about them, but it's not kind of what creates a culture. It's not the work drinks. It's not the extra dollar per hour. It's not the coffee that you shout them or the presents that you give them. Because I know this is something that I speak with owners a lot about, like, you know, I'm just showering them with love and gifts and they pay me back with you know, this. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know if you experience this, like I give and I give and then they leave anyway. But actually, <clears throat> it's about the values that you hold, which mean then that subsequently the business holds and the behaviors that you behave <laughs> and subsequently the business does and your business purpose and about actually having an engaged team who give a damn about all things that are happening, whether it's the business with their teammates or their clients. And culture is not a one size fits all. It's not a once and done, get it done, I can tick the culture box and now I've installed it, we are done. We need first and foremost, a tailored approach to your own, I guess being the CEO, your own personal values and your own goals that you have for the salon or for your life, you know, ultimately for your business, you get to design your business. So, 
you the goal here really is that you get to build a culture of team of people that fit you so you can successfully and happily build a team culture so you can love your business because if you don't love your business nobody else is going to it's kind of important that you love it so you can drive forward in it yes thanks agree Susie nice I think it's a bit of an old belief that we can do the culture and we can tick it off and say, I did that in my business and that it's either unchangeable or I did it once and now I've done it. And I think, uh, well, I often hear when I speak with a salon owner, they're thinking about coming to Salon Mastery and we have a conversation and, and I say, you know, talk to me about your culture. What have you done? And they say, yeah, well, I did it two years ago. We have a great culture. But I actually think, and I have observed, culture should be dynamic, shapeable, ever-changing, that you do it now and you continue to do it into the future to keep it alive, I guess. I think it's a fallacy that develop, culture develops on its own and actually we need to be really intentional about it by design, thought about and implemented. So let's talk about building an int intentional culture. How do we build and develop a culture in our business so it's by design and on purpose? So I want to share with you, I'm keen to hear what you think about this. I want to share with you this idea of Ubuntu. And I think this is a really good example of a cultural principle. And I learned this, funnily enough, on a Netflix documentary. So don't shoot me for that. <laughs> but I, I loved it. And we talk about it here at Salon Owners Collective. It actually comes from an African tribe, but it's quite well known in Africa, Ubuntu. And it means I am because we are. Do you love that? I would love for you to type in the comments, love, if you love that. I am because we are. And why I love that so much is because I am who I am in the life that I live because we are all of the team that are contributing to that. And that includes the owners that we work with, the team that we work with, my family. Like I do not exist in a silo by myself. And whether it's my business or your business or any business, we are the stylist that you have is because of the team around around them and you are able to be who you are because of the people around you the wider community and so I think it's a really nice way to think about you know we're not on a lone island we are because we all are yeah yeah exactly Kate I love 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 that and so it's been a really nice sort of focal point and in terms of building a an intentional salon culture there are three steps that I think and today we've got time to step through two so I want to talk about defining like what the heck is culture and building an exceptional culture and I think that's a really good place to start but I did think some of you we have not met and I want to take a moment just to say who the heck am I in any, any way and what gives me permission to talk to you about culture? Who said that I was the expert on culture? So because we've not met, I'm a stylist and an old salon owner, a salon owner. I still think I'm a salon owner. Do you know the office that I have here in, in Wellington for Salon Owners Collective? When I'm at home and I've left my computer down there or something and I say to my husband, oh, I left it down at the salon. <laughs> I actually call the office the salon. So I still think I'm a salon owner. But I was six months out of my apprenticeship when I opened my salon. Um, I actually think it gave me a rude awakening, but I think it was a good thing because ignorance gave me the courage to do it. If I knew who I was getting myself into, I might not have done it. I owned that salon for 20 years, give or take a month, like bang on. And I mentioned before, I had a team of 30. 
amazing woman. It was the worst thing to do when I sold because I, you know, it was like a marriage breakup. But I worked on and in the business in those last few years for 15 hours a week. I was raising a young family. I was starting another company. That's another whole story. But I sold to pursue that new salon technology company. So that's coming up 10 years now. Maybe it's coming up 11 years. It was 2012. That's coming up 11 years. Anywho, <laughs> I won the Global Salon Business Award three times. It was pretty cool because I got to travel around the countryside, the world, actually not the countryside. I traveled to London and some pretty amazing places. But that opened up the door for me to attend UCLA in entrepreneurial studies. And after I sold the salon, I worked in salon software for a couple of years. I loved building software. Um, but it was during that time that I had this bird's eye view over the industry and I realized how many other salon owners were in pain, the same pain that I experienced over those 20 years to get to not needing to work in my business and being free to raise my children without you know, people calling me every five minutes. And it was that inspired me in 2016 to start Salon Owners Collective. We have six coaches now, we have a team of 13, and we've helped well over 300 salons through our programs to grow their business. The goal is a million dollar million dollar salon, but really what's most important is it's without, we want to be able to do it in a way that's not overwhelming. Life is too short to be stressed and overwhelmed. And we want to have more freedom to live the life outside of our business, which many owners don't, and more profit. Like why can't we get paid and have some time too? So that's a little bit about me. If we haven't met, hey, <laughs> if we haven't met, I would love to know in the comments and just say, hey, okay, let's talk about how we define Culture, like what the heck is culture anyway? I think this is super important. I just want to make sure that if you have just joined or are dipping in and out, let me grab this, that you can grab the activity sheet. Let me pop it here. Okay, cool. That was a reminder for me to give that to you. All right, let's talk about workplace culture in the hair and beauty space. And I think we can define it by a mix of three things. That's the attitudes that we have, the beliefs that we have and the behaviors that we act, behave. This is what shapes the atmosphere at work, which is a good way to explain that. And a good culture makes sure that how our team act and the salon rules all support the goals of the salon. Ultimately, like where is the salon going? What are the goals of those? And are the way that we're acting and the rules that we have in place, are they pointing towards that goal? While we're simultaneously are caring for the well being, I guess, of the people that are working inside of our business. Um, and culture doesn't is, just isn't the surface level stuff. I think it really is about the deeply connected stuff like the salon's purpose, like what are we here for and the vision that we've set for the business. Um, and it thrives when everybody shares the same goals. They know what's expected. They know what, and they're guided towards what's expected. I think too often we don't do that be clear about expectations and and then the leadership is guiding the people towards that and ultimately becoming a salon CEO like that's up to us right we are the salon CEO so I think in simple terms it makes our salon environment unique it helps both the people that are working there and the salon itself come together unity and ultimately success so let's explore what is exceptional culture specifically I think it's easy to assume that our team can be or are behaving a certain way because they're unmotivated. 
and maybe they don't actually want to be there. But I think to build an exceptional key, there are three key things that we need to do as the business owner, as the leader of the business, as the, as the CEO. So give me a thumbs up or type in the number three if you want to know the three things. Are you keen to know the three things? Let me see your comment in the chat. In the comments in the comments. Let me know. Give me a three or a thumbs up. You know I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's step into number one. I think number one is take responsibility. The saying is, of course, if it is to be, it's up to me. If it is to be, it's up to me. Now, sometimes I find this a really hard pill to swallow. And it's like, hey, Carolina. Hey, Diana. I haven't seen you for a while. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Kate. I find this a really hard pill to swallow. And what do you mean? When other people don't perform, or my business is suffering, it's my fault. <laughs> like, what the heck? She's not behaving, my fault. But I ultimately believe this to be true. Do you know? They didn't, if they did the thing and uh, they said some nasty words or they made the mistake, like, why is it my fault? Well, I think the other statement, which is true, is if the fish rots, it's from the head down. The fish rots from the head down, I think is how it goes, is the saying. And that means, you know, like it's up to us. We are at the top. Did you see my little stinky fish doing a little, little blow off? <laughs> so I think, do you know, as the salon CEO, as the CEO of our business, we are the major contributor to the organization's success, right? But I also, leadership is really at the root cause of an organizational's failure or demise, if that's going to be the case. And that can be true and it can be said, you know, for a country, for a company, or a sales force, or a sales team, or that rule applies for anything. And I want to arm you with some thinking today to help you with that thinking and really, I guess, step into the power seat, into the driver's seat where you can step into control or... Hey, are you loving this episode so far? Oh, by the way, it's Greta here, Salon Mastery Success Coach at Salon Owners Collective. So I wanted to pop in and ask you something. Do you ever feel like you are winging it when it comes to your business? You started your own business so that you could live the life you wanted with freedom that you wanted, earn great money and be a leader. But the reality is, the amount of effort you're putting in isn't giving you an equal reward. You're exhausted and you don't know what to do about it. No matter what you do, you just can't seem to get ahead. You see other people winning and seeing success, but how come it doesn't work for you? You wish you had a clear laid out plan, something to guide you in the right direction or help you with what to do next. What can you do that actually works? In reality, many salon owners feel this way, you aren't alone. If you are nodding your head as you listen to this, then you need the Salon Mastery proven nine-part plan to grow your salon. That's right, no more winging it. The Salon Mastery nine-part plan has given hundreds of salon owners a plan to grow, build a rockstar team, attract dream clients, and become a salon CEO. Our plan will work for you too. To uncover the nine-part proven plan, just click the apply now link in the show notes of this episode. Okay, now back to the episode. Not feeling victim 
to the fact that my business is not performing or it's not how I want it to be, but actually you can do something about it. But I really like to know, like, as anybody else, actually, like you understand this idea and this concept that if it is to be, it's up to me, but actually it's a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Like there's a little bit of self-reflection. If you've had an experience like that and you can remember a time you're like, ah, this freaking sucks. Can you write the word pill? Like this is a hard pill to swallow and it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to step up to that eating that pill and living with it. And it takes a bit of self-reflection. So let me know in the comments, the word pill. If you've had to swallow that pill, a couple of times I know that I you know just when I think that I'm on top of things I have to have another swallow of that pill it's not a once and done it's something we have to remember all of the time hey Adele yeah it's a bit of pill swallowing right this is why it's nice to hang out together because not everybody understands why we put up with this swallowing the pill and hey Rosemary so it is nice to know that other people understand okay number two is Clear expectations. I think it's super hard to be clear about what you expect. This is hard, but it's make or break. Oh, I love the pill emojis. Yes, exactly. This is make or break, clear expectations, especially when you're trying to set new expectations or things that you've not done before, or you're trying to change systems and processes and you're into setting new expectations in particular. This is when it gets really hard. So for example, the first time you teach something to somebody that you've traditionally done, for example, and you've been doing it a long time, or okay, let's take a really simple example. You've been doing something for a long time. So if you're a stylist inside of your business and you're still serving clients and you're cutting hair all day long, you're an expert at it and you just kind of do it by automation. You do it out of memory reflex. And so then when you go for the first time to have an apprentice to start training, it's really hard to lay out what it is that you want because you're just doing it on auto autopilot. And so sometimes you don't even know what you do anymore, right? So if you don't know what you do anymore because it's automatic and you don't know really what you want because you've just always done it, you've never had to articulate it or put a box around it, it's super hard. And so sometimes, you know, when we don't get what we want from the people that we're trying to get the things that we need from, it doesn't work out, scratching our heads going, why the heck doesn't she understand what I, when I say what, I, what I've been saying, right? If we've been doing it for too long for ourselves, this is a tricky one. But has anybody else had that experience? Can you give me like a wave emoji or just type yes, actually? If you've experienced this, it's like, I, I really tried to tell you what I wanted, but you didn't hear me or you weren't listening or you didn't do what I said. So I want to give me a thumbs up because I know that surely you have. I can't be the only one that's experienced this. And so getting clear on this is I think probably, yeah, thanks, Carolina, Adele. Yes, exactly. So this kind of, I think, is one of the pivotal things for the person at the top, the fish stinks from the head down, so the person at the top, we need to get not stinky about the way that we communicate and get clear on the expectations for our unique culture, our unique brand. So it can be harder than you expect. So I'm going to take you through three steps. And the first one is leading by example. Do it yourself the first time. Now, there's a couple of scenarios that Leading by example, of course, we know this is a thing that we say we should lead by example, but I'm getting really literal now, like let's take the example of teaching somebody how to cut because it's something that we you know, need to do often. Um, 
And it's a good example because you need to do the same with culture, right? So if you, I remember when I went, after I sold my salon, actually, I went back uh, for a short time to um, pick up the training academy that we had built. And I took some training. And it had been a long time since I had um, done any technical training. And I was like, going back to doing cutting training. And leading by example could be, Here's an example of leading by example. I actually would take the comb off the apprentice and take the section and do it so she could watch me. Half of the reason was that so she could watch me, but for me that I could remember how I was doing it. Because otherwise I would say, okay, which hand are you going to do it like that? And so we want to lead by example and then explain as you go. So whether it's how we run our team meetings, how we speak and communicate around here, or how we technically train, we need to be able to step back into the shoes of the things that we want to make sure that we are doing it, because sometimes we evolve or we forget the intent that we had around. So being clear by example, uh, being clear with expectations is leading by example and doing. And don't give yourself a hard time if you forget. Um, there's a lot going on when you're a business owner, but go back to basics, pick up the comb again and take the section and then show people how to do it again. It's the best way to lead by example. Number two is spoken and written. Get that shit written down. <laughs> because sometimes we can have, this is what I discovered, is sometimes we can have a different response on a different day depending on how we feel. Bloody feelings, they get in the way. So someone would say, how shall I deal with that client complaint? Depending on how I feel about that client, that stylist, how much sleep I got last night, I would have a different answer. And then I'm being an inconsistent owner. When we write shit down and we intentionally think, how do I actually want to deal with this? We can get it written down Everybody needs, knows the rules, including you, and we can all stick to the way that we do it and we can be consistent for our team so we don't confuse them. We can be consistent for our customers so they're not confused about their brand experience. And same with the culture, the way that we do things. When you write it down, you have to think about it and get really clear about what you want and everybody knows then what it is. And then the reason I've got a little spinning wheel is that we need to repeat it over and over again and over again and over again. And like I said, it's not once and done. And also being a professional repeater is a little bit part of your job. If we're over repeating over a long period of time, then probably it's a systemic systems problem. But for a little bit, we need to be a professional repeater and really help people. Repetition is how people learn. So when I was building my training academy, actually, um, this was, I used this tool to lead by example, train and work out what the heck I was doing as I was doing it, and then write it down as I went. So as I would take a training session about how, whether it's um, technical training, whether it's like how we greet clients here, whether it's how we upgrade and sell our menu here, doesn't matter what the system is or it's how we treat each other and speak to each other that's a cultural type of system, write it down as we go. And so I would have my computer or my laptop close by and I would have an engagement or conversation, regardless of if it's technical or cultural, with somebody. And then I would go to my systems and processes and write it down now. Like it's a big rock or it's a big roadblock to think, oh, and I have to spend two months writing my systems and processes down on my the way that we do things. And I just think you'll never get around to it and you'll never get it done. So get it written down get it spoken and written and then repeat and write it down. <laughs> Is that making sense? 
Otherwise, it feels like this big task. The third part of clear, setting clear expectations is never assume that people don't know things. No, never assume that people know. They don't know, right? And this is harder than you think also because we make assumptions, especially around common sense. What's common sense for me is not common sense for you. And once it's common sense for me, I now think it's common sense for everybody. And I assume people would know. It's called the curse of knowledge. We have the knowledge. We've had the years of experience. It looks obvious to us because we've become experts at it. We've become experts at sectioning or we've become experts at speaking a certain way or using a certain phrase in, um, in our business. Um, and so we forgot that it's hard and we assume people will know. And so assumption makes an ass of you and me. I love to remember that one because I'll try not to, I try not to assume that people know the curse of knowledge. So I think that's really an important one. And that for me always gives me permission to take people back a few steps and lead by example, write it down back a little bit further than I would naturally assume. Some other things that can contribute to your team's inability to understand are things like past experiences or beliefs. You've probably heard the saying like under the iceberg. What do your team believe or what experiences have they have in the past that are going to, they're going to bring inside of your business? So how they believe about how to sell, how, what they believe about how to style or how to do a facial, all of those beliefs or lifetime experiences that might have come from their family, do you know, what they were told off for in a ch as children or what they experienced in their last uh, workplace, they're going to bring that stuff into your business and you need to be aware of those things, things that they know to be true, but aren't necessarily true or aren't necessarily true inside of your business. So being aware of that, personality styles and profiling is super useful, understanding each other, and that can get away of, uh, that can get in the way of building a really strong culture. Um, and then the other one too is, is worthwhile is understanding your team's love language. How do they like to receive praise, feedback, because sometimes if you speak to them and tell them that they're doing a good job and you just smile and say some words, some people don't hear words, but they feel touch. So there's five, it's a really good book. It's worth getting. It's a really good way to communicate with your team. Love languages, because if, yeah, there's a lot of miscommunication that can happen when you don't understand love languages. And so I would say that is a really one, a really good one to get your hands on for sure. All right, out of those, let me go back a step actually, out of those, which is the one that probably you need to focus on the most because maybe you've missed a step? Is it you assume too much from your team? Maybe you're speaking, doing a lot of talking, but you're not writing anything down and then not being consistent? Or are you not leading by example so much and then getting in there and, and doing and touching? Let me know in the comments, which one is the one that you need to focus on the most as a business owner? Because there's always going to be one. We can't, it's hard being perfect. <laughs> we can't be perfect all of the time. Damn it. Keen to know which one is the one. Lisa says writing things down. Yeah. Was that useful, Lisa? Like in terms of just do it as you go, don't make it a big thing to do. Otherwise it just becomes too much, you know, it becomes this big task that you're never going to have time for. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it updating as you go. 
just remember handbooks shouldn't live in the drawer. They shouldn't be tucked away. They should be out in the business all of the time. Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Let's keep moving, I feel. I want to talk about number three. Can't count. Number three, the third one, and that is building a communication culture, a culture of communication. So I really love this. There's a little bit of discrepancy about who originally wrote this. I'm going to share a really thoughtful way or remember around a, building a communication culture. I think it was C.S. Lewis kind of seemed to be that it was him that was the original. And I want to share this with you. Communication, what isn't communicated, the things that weren't said, or, yeah, let's go with the things that weren't said, the things that wasn't communicated is felt as an, and is interpreted. So the things that, are, you know, people reading between the lines, it's a thing. People are going to feel it and interpret it. But what they interpret is often wrong. So we talked a little bit about under the iceberg. We talked about love languages and the way that people interpret the things that you say or don't say, they're going to interpret those things. But the interpretation isn't necessarily how you intended for that to be heard. And I think that's really important. And when I think about the hard pill to swallow and how it's up to me and the fish thinking and all of those things, it's up to me to make sure that the person that's receiving the communication is hearing what I intended to communicate, whether I said it or I didn't say it. And I think that's really important. And if ever things go wrong, it's inside of my business around culture or relationships or communication, it always comes back to this. So let me give you an example of what I mean by this. So in the salon, we actually still have this culture here in Salon Owners Collective. When you run an appointment column or an appointment book, um, I had a little rule, or this is how we do it here, around making sure your appointment book represented reality. So if you think about running a column for a day, you know, if you run late or you take longer or, you know, appointments cancel and change and reschedule and all of those things I always wanted the day to represent the reality of how things really were so that means if you ran late you would stretch the appointment down if people cancelled you would shrink it up to 15 minutes you'd leave it there because I wanted to know that Jane was booked there and that I would need to you know reschedule her or whatever but we would shrink it up and turn it red people cancelled you know I wanted to know what actually happened and so I wanted the team to update the day to show the reality, right? No shrink, you know, you know that's another whole story. <laughs> so I could look at the day and see what truly happened, what happened at the beginning of the day, what happened at the end of the day. I know Katumba has a feature where like if things change, it changes color. So you can see that what was booked was not actually what happened. And if you worked later and you ran late in particular, I wanted to see how often was this happening, all of those types of things. It made rostering easier. It made payroll easier because the appointment book then became the hours that we would pay people, right? It's all about making life easier and people not doubling up. But I had this one lovely, gentle, kind team member, and she was quite new. She made an assumption that I was doing that to try and catch her out, that I didn't trust her and that I was trying to... Funnily enough, she thought that I was trying to not pay her. I don't quite know how she got to that conclusion. And she thought I was treating her like a little girl and to, that was not to be trusted. 
Turns out, under the iceberg, not what I communicated at all, but what she already believed, turns out her last boss was always literally trying to not pay her and argue with her about the hours that she worked and not pay her, et cetera, et cetera. And so she brought that belief and that experience into my business and assumed because I was a boss, I would be doing the same. And that's just how salons were. And she felt that, you know, I had a heavy hand or was trying to be controlling all of these weird things, which I knew not to be true because she was the only one experiencing that. Nobody else was experiencing that. And, and we'd had that system for years. It was all fine until she came and brought her own beliefs. So I felt like I had communicated it to her, what we did and how we did it. But what I'd said didn't land with what she heard. So she was sullen. She didn't always want to comply. She did it and in the end, but a little bit begrudgingly. So when I spoke with her about it, she kind of accused me of all these hurtful things, which I was just like, where is this coming from? This is really weird. It didn't match my experience or in, in any case, you get the point. Has anybody ever had an experience like this? Like sometimes communicating with team members is hard. Can you put hard in the comments if you've had an experience like this? Like communication is hard but it doesn't have to be because once I explained to her like why we were doing the things actually we were managing no-shows we needed to be able to follow them up I wanted to be able to pay her correctly and she could see over a period of time that I had paid her for every single hour that she worked and what we discovered <clears throat> that because she ran late often that was one of the challenges she ran late often and so we were tracking that we were making her drag it down etc and so she felt judged blah 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 Ultimately, I wanted to, I didn't want her to run late. I didn't want her to have to overwork and, you know, instead of finishing at eight, finish at nine. Like that was not only a pain for her, her boyfriend was waiting outside. It was a pain for the key holder who had to wait for her. And it was just messy. The client was here four hours, not three hours. All of those things that I know that you know, salon owners. Turns out because we had been tracking it and at least, you know, once a fortnight, she was running late by an hour Turns out, because we tracked it and we stretched all the appointments down, when we went back over time, yeah, Lisa, I agree. Yeah, hard, Carolina. Turns out that every time she ran late, there was a full head of highlights. It wasn't just late because she was hopeless or she talked too much, although she might have done that. She was running late because she was actually not using the right developer her she was a little bit slow at foiling and the whole process just got long and overextended and nobody was winning the team the client and especially her so because we did that little system of tracking and we had a little system in place we were able to highlight actually what was the real problem when we could go we did some more training she went and did the redid the l'oreal keys to learn actually what developer did she need to use she hadn't used l'oreal before and we fixed it and had I not tracked it or had our little system in place, we would never have discovered that. And she would have always been the one that was late. So she turned out she was the nicest, sweetest person. And through that experience, we built a new level of trust. She knew why we did it. She knew I had a good intent. So I think, you know, rather than leave it to imagination, we've got to share the why do we do these things? Why do we, you know, back to the key point, like what isn't communicated, which is the often the why. Why do we do this? How do we get to this conclusion that this was a good idea to do? And why have we put the system in place? Because experience has showed us X, Y, and Z. Um, and make sure that their interpretation, e.g., I've just said something to you. What do you think that I just said? What did you hear? And let's make sure that we're speaking the same language. 
So that is communication culture, having a culture of sharing the why, making sure that the person that is hearing you is understanding what picking up what you put down. I think that's a really nice way to put it. Okay, does that make sense? All right, how are we doing for time? Oh, look at that. Okay, so we have defined that culture is based on vision, values, and purpose. And we've explored exceptional culture. And there are three key things to exceptional culture in terms of us being able to lead the culture as, a, as the business owner. If it is to be, it's up to me. Like, let's get in the driver's seat. Let's swallow the pill and get the hell on with the job. Get into the driver's seat and take control. Number two is leading by setting clear expectations. And how do we set clear expectations? One, we lead by example, best that we can. Two, we make sure that we're spoken and we repeat. Repetition is good. And we make sure that things are written down so everybody knows, including you. <laughs> you know why I say that? I told you why, why we say this. It's because sometimes we can, you know, be a little bit emotive about our decisions and, and we don't want to do that. Uh, and number three was never assume. Uh, never assume people know um, what we expect from them. And then number three was, so if it is to be, it's up to me, clear expectations, and then building a communication culture and making sure that what we're putting down is what people are picking up. And if you can get those things set right, you'll build a, a culture of trust and understanding and be in the power seat to really intentionally build a culture. I'm super keen to hear of those three things, what was the biggest takeaway for you? What was the one? What was your, what I like to call aha moment from today's session? Okay, now let's do a quick recap. First are three signs that your team culture might need some work. Number one, low morale, decreased productivity, increased sickness, decreased engagement, poor customer service, decreased collaboration, all signs of low morale. Number two, a high team turnover. We're not talking about two of your girls leaving to have babies. At the same time, I'm talking about team members who, for reasons unknown, just don't seem to last or fit. Number three, trouble attracting new team members. You know when you're ticking all of the boxes when it comes to getting your hiring message out there and posting, etc., but something's stopping your dream team member from applying. This is where it's important to remember that reputation goes beyond your clients and how your clients feel about you and your service as a service provider. You need to have a reputation of being a great employer too, a great place to work. So now that we know how to spot a potential crack in the foundations of our team culture, we've talked about the three things that you need to do to build an empowered, intentional, exceptional team culture within your salon. Take responsibility. If it is to be, it's up to me. Communicate expectations clearly and build a communication culture. Okay, so that may have felt like a lot to take in, but I think actually there were two key concepts in there that will empower you as a leader. Responsibility, what's happening inside of your business and communication. Constant, open, two-way comms. These two things are going to build and protect your culture and obviously your business. And that's a wrap from me. Look forward to connecting same time, same place next week on the podcast.